it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're back in action now. We know the President of the United States will, well, actually, the Secretary of State will deliver remarks at the U.S. Columbia High Level Dialogue Conference. Why it's important, I never would say that, but it's over in San Diego, uh, with the State Department, I should say. But why it's important is we've lost all relations with so-called allies or acquaintances in Central and South America, China moving in everywhere in Africa. we got a vice president out there. The State Department's got to start doing their thing. we got to start getting these guys in gear or losing traction to an ugly regime that offers nothing except self-interest. So we have Claudia Tenney of New York joining us shortly. Teresa Payton will talk about the pluses and minuses of TikTok and what we can actually do if we decide to ban it. Uh, She is a cyber expert. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The banking system is resilient and it's sound. The banking system has a strong capital position and a lot of liquidity and has the full support of the Federal Reserve and other regulators standing behind it. Uh, That is Neil Kashkari, the president of Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. More uneasiness over our regional banks as SVP uh, gets a buyer as more and more Americans lose faith in the institution and the administration's ability to deal with the economy as a whole. We will discuss. Number two. We showed a video in that last segment of the president on TikTok from a video shot by a celebrity inside the White House. It's not on it government. It's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. Not, it's not on government devices. <laughs> oh, what a joke that is. John Kirby, are you kidding me? TikTok's got to go, but a bigger policy plan has to be put in place right away as another Chinese app is beginning to take over your app store. And even more evidence emerges that China is trying to take over our place in the world in every way imaginable. Number one. They keep saying, oh, I think DeSantis can do okay with farmers. I don't think so. Based based on polls, he's not doing okay with anything. Really? Uh, Trump front and center again. Four cases threaten his candidacy, but New York could indeed just go away as he takes aim at Ron DeSantis over the weekend. I didn't see the—I only saw portions of the speech, but they say when he brought up DeSantis, everything went silent. No one clapped. No one laughed. No one booed. Just silent because people don't know what to make of it. And I don't, you know, because people that like DeSantis like Trump, people like Trump like DeSantis. It's not so much. I feel differently about Pompeo and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence. I think the president feels differently because I think he looks at him as the greatest threat to him. First on the cases itself, the Trump uh, Trump indictment, he feels as though Donald Trump feels as though this whole thing is going away. He believes that uh, Alvin Bragg has been disgraced. And I do think he was on the roll to having the best week in years until, of course, he had those death and destruction truth socials uh, towards the end of the week and then had a picture of himself um, with a bat in his hand, split screen with Alvin Bragg, and it was on the cover of the New York Post. It just looks ridiculous. I mean, why would you even think about promoting any type of violent act against anybody if you're a political figure or if you're any type of figure at this point? But the president does get over 10,000 in Waco, Texas, the former president. 
Joe Biden couldn't do that, and there's not another politician that would be able to do that. Not the governor of Texas, not a senator, no one. I don't think Governor DeSantis gets that big a crowd yet. But the president's got his fervent supporters will go far and wide to see him. The question is, would he be better off talking about everything he did as president and everything he wants to do, or is he better off going after his opponents, or is he better off complaining? If you want the president to be successful— You should say, don't bring up 2022 and better not bring up 2020. Instead, the former president led with a video, a chorus of inmates, literally those singing after uh, January 6th that are in jail and video of January 6th saying it's not a big deal. It was a big deal. And not like the January 6th committee was a joke. It was a big infomercial for Democrats. I'm not talking about that, but it's not to the president's advantage to bring it up. Because it was after his speech that it happened. The video looks terrible. Most are wearing Trump hats. It doesn't work. I don't know why he doesn't understand that. Here's Peggy Noonan of the Wall Street Journal. Cut 12. You look at DeSantis, you see his record. You sort of have one question. You have a few questions, but one is, why is he running? Does he know? If he knows... Maybe he could let everybody else know, and maybe that will help him at a difficult time. I'm just not sure I'm seeing why he's running. I find that fascinating because I just thought he was running. Next point in his career, thinks he can run the country. That's it. But she feels as though he hasn't put out his topic sentence yet. And a lot of people think that Governor DeSantis would do a great job. But the most knowledgeable person in the world, he can't just practice being president. But I loved, I don't know who brought it up to me, uh, that Karl Rove set George W. Bush, when he was governor of Texas, up with all experts to go see him at different times, from domestic policy to foreign policy to defense, to explain to him transportation and everything else that goes along with being president so he could hit the ground running, let alone what his dad could tell him around the dinner table. So I think that would be good uh, just to see these guys go back and forth. We're very curious to see what's going to happen with uh, DeSantis, what he decides to do. I think he's he's virtually in already, but the longer he waits, the more uh, Trump is going to imprint him like nobody else in history. Another thing, there was two polls that came out, the public policy poll. They were encouraging for DeSantis. In Monmouth, he's losing, uh, but Trump is finds himself tied in New Hampshire and DeSantis leading 45-37, so tied at 39 in New Hampshire, and 45-37 in Iowa. So that shows a strong start. Now, if Sununu gets in, it's going to take a piece, if not all, of New Hampshire from DeSantis. So who does that benefit? And that's what makes it so interesting and one of the most exciting times. Personally, with Trump's cases, legal cases, it's going to be a challenge. I'm going to get into this with Cody Tenney, but in New York— I think, obviously, I thought it was political, always did. Now he's having trouble getting the grand jury reportedly to agree that he needs to be indicted. I don't blame him. The Congress coming out saying, you need to explain yourself to me, Alvin Bragg. He just went crazy, said, I'm absolutely not going to do that. Here's where it stands, according to our reporters. We expect the secret grand jury to sit this Monday. We're unsure about the topics. They have other cases, for example. They did not take up this case on Thursday. An indictment could come as early as Monday afternoon. As of uh, yesterday, the grand jury still has not been deliberating, which, by the way, I didn't think they would be. Now, Comer warns Bragg he must testify after stumbling into his territory during the Trump probe. So we'll see how that goes. Obviously, a statement came out saying he doesn't want to do that. But I also thought it was interesting, is it, on social media saying President death and destruction does not help the president's case. 
politically or anything else. Joe Tacopino was on, on Meet the Press and was asked about the social media post. Cut to. I'm not his social media consultant. Um, I, I don't. I think that was an ill-advised post that one of his social media people put up and he quickly took down when he realized the rhetoric and the photo that was attached to it. I'm not going to defend or or condemn anything regarding social media. It's not what I do. I don't have anything to do. I'm not a Trump PR person. I'm a mm-hmm. litigator and a lawyer. And I'm talking about this case in Manhattan, which is a, a case that would not be brought right. for anyone other than Donald Trump. Uh, I don't think there's anything to any doubt about it. They sparred for about 25 minutes. Uh, I actually think this case makes looks the president look better. Now, what I also think it's ridiculous is that they're going after him on his documents case. In Mar-a-Lago, there's a special prosecutor. Where's the special prosecutor on the current president of the United States? What was he doing for years, for decades, with uh, classified information by his Corvette, in his garage, in his house, in his the Penn Center? How come we don't get briefed at that? Even Senator Warner over the weekend said, we have not been sufficiently briefed about what documents were there and not. If I'm on the Intelligence Committee, how could I possibly know what intelligence could leak out if you won't even brief me what's in it? But don't you find it amazing and unacceptable that we only hear about the interview, the uh, the uh, prosecution of Donald Trump? We don't hear about Joe Biden? Why is that? Not even a leak out to say, wow, one of those documents is X, Y, and Z. One of them is for a very important time in 1998. Here is Dan Abrams on another case, the Georgia case, about possibly trying to get votes in Georgia and this very politically motivated district attorney there possibly handing down an indictment. He believes that's the danger. Cut 10. Trump still faces a very real threat of being indicted in Georgia. Yeah, uh, that's another potentially serious case related to overturning of the election. And we expect to hear from the Fulton County D.A., any day now, because a special grand jury, which is just an advisory grand jury there, clearly has already advised, suggested that there be charges in connection with that case as well. And, you know, the foreman is an absolute crazy woman. We saw that she came out, was doing interviews. She's out of her mind. She, her post says she's a, a witch. And she's the foreman in charge of the grand jury. I mean, if that doesn't question any type of recommendation, I don't know what does. I mean, you want people that are mentally and emotionally balanced. And unless she, if she had one interview that was odd, that would be no big deal. But she did about four. So when we come back, uh, I'm going to talk to Congresswoman Cordia Tenney. Then talk to Teresa Payton about cyber and banning TikTok, which I think has to happen with the, like, like, uh, uh, the likelihood that is of happening, especially with the President of the United States, seeming to like the influencers on TikTok quite a lot. You listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
It's really telling, isn't it? Because grand juries don't normally rake prosecutors over the coals in, in order to get an indictment. You have them at hello when you walk in as a prosecutor. So if he's having trouble, it's indicative of how weak this case is. The most damaging aspect of Costello may not simply be as a former counsel to Cohen, he says that he's lying. It's that he said he brought 300 emails with him and said these contradict what Cohen says. The jury might not have seen those emails. And the most damaging thing you can do in a grand jury is if the grand jury believes that they're only seeing part of this picture. But the dissent within the office, I think, is also equally important. It is a weak case. No kidding. Jonathan Turley weighing in. We could find out as early as today if the president's going to be indicted for something that happened 17 years ago that was brought up seven years ago. And now we're going to find out that after being dismissed is going to be brought up again. And the reason to, to indict the first president, this is D.A. Alvin Bragg. Might be a stranger to you, but not to Cla- uh, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. She's on the Ways and Means Committee now in New York, uh, representing New York Science, Space and Technology. Uh, Congresswoman, welcome back. Great to be on. Nice to be on. So the president said over the weekend he thinks that uh, Bragg's already uh, dropped the case. What do you hear? I have not heard that, but I'm sure he's going to get a a lot of pressure to do that. And I think this is very – Alvin Bragg's behavior is very typical of these uh, prosecutors that are so aggressive to look for a crime, which is against our our system of government and our justice system, which is about innocent until proven – guilty, uh, but they're trying to find the man, and then that's the person they're going to go after. Remember, Letitia James did the same thing to President Trump and his family. They've all been hauled into court, and she got nowhere with it. It was finally dropped by the DA's office, or or dropped by the the, uh, U.S. Attorney's office, and she did the same thing to one of my former colleagues from the State Assembly, who's now Rensselaer County Executive, Steve uh, McLaughlin, who was vindicated. He was within in less than 40 minutes, a jury uh, found him acquitted because she lied and brought evidence forth. I think it's time for the Republicans to get really aggressive. These Soros based uh, uh prosecutors like Alvin Bragg, need to, we need to go to the bar associations, which I understand are left-leaning. I'm a lawyer. I know how that goes in New York. But also, Letitia James should be disbarred for malicious prosecution. I think we started, We have to start looking at those angles, because right now, if Kathy Hochul's not going to remove Alvin Bragg, uh, as Lee Zeldin promised to do, and not just for his, you know, the issues with Trump, but degrading so many felonies to misdemeanors and refusing to prosecute actual criminals while we have a crime wave in New York. There's a lot to be considered here, but I don't know if it's going to be blown uh, blown over as Trump indicates, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see uh, whether you could get bail reform done. When the Democratic governor wants to get some bail reform done and the legislature says, no, the hell with you, that shows how dug in a certain amount are to this bail reform. And you wonder how they, how they could possibly think they work on behalf of New Yorkers in particular or in Philadelphia, same thing, or in San Francisco and Los Angeles, and at the same time resist bail reform after the stat show is putting everybody in danger, the same criminals committing the same crimes. Yeah, they, they just don't care. I mean, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the facts. You know, Kathy Hochul uh, unfortunately ran on this, and she tried to placate the far left in her campaign. But remember, she has a veto-proof majority that she faces in the New York State legislature. Yeah. I think this is the first time ever. So she's really a powerless governor. And it's interesting because the New York governor under our New York Constitution is one of the most powerful governors in the nation. And there's not much she can do. But the far left, dictated by uh, people mostly in the New York City region, mostly by communists, you know, when I served in the state assembly, 
If you said to a Democrat, you know, that they were socialists, they would have been insulted. Today, they embrace it. And the largest coalition in the New York state legislature is the Democratic Socialists of America. They believe in Marxism. They believe in, in centralized government and control and this type of, of activity that you're seeing. Alvin Bragg's getting pressured to continue to fight Trump. So I want to bring you over to TikTok and what the House did last week um, on a bipartisan level, really laced into the TikTok CEO who had answers, but they were, none of them were good enough. Here's a Democrat, uh, Raja Christermurth of, of Illinois, cut 18. Well, I think that uh, good policy makes good politics. And in this particular case, we have to recognize that um, – while uh, TikTok is another social media app and we have a generalized concern about these social media apps, it's different in kind from any other social media app because uh, its parent company is beholden to the Chinese Communist Party. That is why, on a bipartisan basis, we've banned TikTok from all federal devices. And that's why the FBI director, the director of national intelligence, the CIA director, and the entire uh, intelligence community believes this is a se- severe risk to our national security, and we have to deal with it. Do you believe the same thing as everybody, the people he rattled off? Look, Eureka, the Democrats and Republicans have something we can agree on. I think TikTok, TikTok is a problem, and that's because the Chinese Communist Party controls every entity that is in, in China. Every entity has some obligation, even when their their foreign nationals are in the United States, to report back to the Chinese Communist Party, or they they could potentially become an involuntary organ donor, or they could lose their life, or they could be imprisoned if they don't comply with the CCP. And that's the problem with these these very popular uh, types of uh, devices and uh, TikTok and, and other uh, apps. They're 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 enticing. They're engaging. Uh, I know my my colleague Kat Kamik said it's like a crack on. Uh, for for the internet, but you know, look, these these are surveillance documents. It's just one way the Chinese are getting control over the United States surreptitiously. Look at the Chinese spy balloon. It took Biden, you know, what a week before they finally did something about it. So it accumulated material that was probably remitted back to the Chinese Communist Party and the United States. And things that we think are so mundane, you know, and just so run, you know, run of the mill, really aren't. The Chinese are very smart. Uh, they use demographics. They're uh, I know, Congressman, land. do you know, real quick, we have 20 seconds. Right. You know, there's two more apps uh, leading uh, leading downloads on the App Store right now from China. Don't you guys, are you guys offering any type of plan to vote on, to ban it? Yeah, we will be coming up. We, we will be voting on this and we will be banning it. We've got to get it done in the Senate and the House. But we also, you know, companies and individuals have to comply. And a lot of people have raised concerns because they're making money on this. We've got to go to where the heart of the matter is. And it's about who's making money on this and how the Chinese are exploiting these mm-hmm. people. It's a matter of national security. Thanks so much, Congress. Congressman Thank Claudia Tenney, we appreciate it. We come back inside the cyber world. We'll build on what we learned about TikTok with Teresa Payton. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We showed a video in that last segment of the president on TikTok from a video shot by a celebrity inside the White House. It's not on it government. It's hypocritical. It's, it's hypocritical. Not, it's not on government devices. <laughs> what an embarrassment. You try you get this testimony about how evil TikTok could be at the hands of the uh, Chinese government, knowing that they could access all this data and control a news feed that might be able to shape the 
the thought process in the country, especially for those under 30. And then while the president says he's taken serious about a ban, he keeps using it because he wants political gain. What about the country's security? Teresa Payton's with us now, back with us, uh, CEO of Ford, uh, Ford Lease uh, LLC and former White House information officer and uh, president under President George W. Bush. Um, and we also know you have another book coming out. So, Teresa, welcome back. Oh, Brian, it's always great to be with you. Hope you're doing well. So do you, do you, am I the only one who thinks the president's that serious about banning TikTok when he keeps on doing TikToks with TikTokers? Well, it's interesting because it, it, this is a challenge. Um, he wants to meet people where they are, and a lot of Americans are on TikTok. But it it does come across as a, a little strange. You know, there's the CEO of TikTok USA gets grilled for five hours on the Hill, and then we're engaging with Americans on TikTok. And so it does come across as a little a little odd and a little hard to process. Yeah, by the way, your second edition of Privacy in the Age of Big Data is out now. So everyone should go uh, pick that up. So we know this. Uh, there's If you don't like TikTok, and that's fine if you don't, there's another seven-month-old app that's racing up the App Store. I think it's the most downloaded app right now in the country called Timu. There's also a TikTok video editing partner app called CapCut. And then you got TikTok itself. So if you don't like, if you know, you think TikTok's a problem, we have to get a policy together that addresses these apps from China. We really do. And so what the five hours of grilling, and I I read the highlights because I I had to work that day, but uh, I read the highlights. I read the pre-testimony. I watched the CEO's uh, video that he did before um, the testimony. And what I walked away with, Brian, is we need to do the hard work. And the hard work is, We need a national privacy bill of rights at the individual level. We don't have one. GDPR is in its like second or third version. Um, It's it's really disgraceful. We we should have spent that five hours hammering out a privacy bill of rights for every U.S. citizen, and then we can hold every company accountable. Because if it's not TikTok, uh, tomorrow it'll be some other app. As you mentioned, there's other popular apps. And it's not just about China. We have American companies that do business in other countries, including China, Russia, other countries around the world. And if the government comes to them, another government, and subpoenas records, and they have to comply with those subpoenas because they're doing business there, what does that mean for American citizens' data? So we have to get this right, and we need to do the hard work right now and get that bill in place. Uh, And what would it look like? What are some well, of the things that we need rights to have? We're also, I just worry about people taking their word for it. Well, that's the thing, too. And so we, we really need to have a conversation around what will the governance be? You know, will we stand up a private sector nonprofit organization that will hold accountable to uh, telling big tech social media companies, regardless of where they're headquartered? You know, the origin story here for TikTok is ByteDance China, but uh, we have American headquarter companies who also have some challenges in protecting your and my privacy. Where we have to start is talking about at an individual level in terms that you and I can all understand and agree to, giving us back our privacy rights. So allowing you and I to opt in and out of tracking. If you're making money off me, can I also make some money off me? Um, The right to be forgotten. So erasing things that maybe you've changed your mind on certain positions or um, maybe you've grown up now and you you want um, to 
kind of portray yourself yeah. in a different light on the internet. So Sho Chu is the CEO. And he showed up to explain himself. He said he was looking forward to it. It's hard for me to imagine he, he feels that way now. But here's when he was asked about China spying. Uh, the second cut you have down there, Eric. Yes or no? Do any ByteDance employees in China, including engineers, currently have access to user, U.S. user data? Today, all um, U.S. user data is stored by default in the Oracle Cloud infrastructure, question, and access question, to that is controlled is, do any by American ByteDance personnel. employees in China including engineers, currently have access to U.S. data? Uh, Congressman, uh, I would appreciate this. This is a complex uh, topic. Today, Ugh. all data yes, is yes by no. default. No, it's not that complex. <laughs> yes or no, do they have access to user data? We have, after Project Texas is done, the answer is no. Well, when Project Texas has Oracle taking all the data, he says the answer is no, the cost of $30 billion. Number one, is it? And number two is, why didn't he not want to answer that question? Well, so, Brian, I've had to testify on the Hill, and it is hard in a very short period of time to explain the architecture. And I think he was struggling with, how do I boil down the architecture of TikTok um, in short sentences? Um, So that could have been it. I'm going to give the CEO the benefit of the doubt. But it is, it's a nuanced answer. And, and so what I'm taking away from it, and these are my words, not the CEOs, the, what I'm reading into it is is perhaps they did have access to it. And he was trying to figure out how to walk that, that yeah. dance of we're, we're doing everything we can now. We heard your concerns. Uh, CFIUS has said, you know, that's the, the Committee on Foreign Investment. Um, and they have said, here are the concerns. They are doing the architecture with Oracle. Um, and I think he was trying to figure out how to, in a nuanced and brief <laughs> way, um, answer that question. Well, that's very kind of you. Sho uh, Chu also was asked about spying. Listen to his, this, this uh, parry. Has ByteDance spied on American citizens? I don't think that spying is the right way to describe it. Right. This is ultimately we can differ uh, on this that. Is, this is ultimately an internal investigation. Any TikTok. So spying, because he said that journalists were spied on to find out who was leaking information about TikTok. So it was already done. He doesn't like the word spying, but the fact that it already happened that gives you additional reason to worry. It does. It does. So they over the years, um, and there was a great piece. That, People didn't want to hear from me when I tried to talk to them about it. Published in 2021 by Wired, um, and I wouldn't say that Wired is, you know, a right-leaning kind of organization. And they were very concerned um, about how the TikTok platform was growing in popularity, the collection, the collating, and the tracking of user data, including your device's IP address, um, which in many cases can be incredibly unique to you, Brian. Um, so it's like your, your device information plus your home IP address or your work IP address. Um, and that, that would create a problem. And a lot of people will say, well, that's not really spying. The, the, the tactic behind the collection of this type of data, whether you use the app or not, by the way. So if you go watch a video that somebody has cross-posted on another social media platform, or you even just go to TikTok.com, um, they are collecting information that is known as inferred demographics. Um, Many big tech and social media companies do use this same tactic, but the question is, is who is accessing this data? Is this data anonymized Mm -hmm. or does it say, you know, Teresa Payton? Um, Is this data uh, anonymized or can you actually see my patterns of life? Because if I know your patterns of life, I can guess with great predictability where you will probably be next based on your past behaviors, probably even better than you might guess.
your behaviors using algorithms and big data analytics. So I want to bring you to a little bit of the exchange of trying to get to the bottom of all this. I don't know what the CEO is thinking. I guess he had to go show up. It's one thing if Facebook and Twitter take your stuff and take your identity or shadow ban you or ban you. At least it's an American company. But when you have China, who we know their main objective is to supplant us in every way, it's number two in the world, that's more of an issue. Here's a little of Kathy McMorris-Rogers and, uh, and Dan Crenshaw. Let's listen. Can you say with 100% certainty that neither ByteDance nor TikTok employees can target other Americans with similar surveillance techniques? Chair Rogers, I first of all disagree with the characterization that is spying. ByteDance owns TikTok. If ByteDance is told, and, and the CCP owns ByteDance, so they can make you hand over that data. Is that correct? Data is stored here in American soil by an American well, company. You say that. Over- well, and it isn't because it does it does go back. And also, when asked, is the Uyghurs uh, the Uyghurs being held against their will, and is that genocide? He would not answer. So you just know that this that the China is pulling his strings by that. And we hope we get something comprehensive out of it. Is it possible in the cyber world to ban an app that's on 150 million phones? Uh, on paper, we can talk about having a ban architecturally. It's going to be very hard, Brian, to ban the app. Um, so there, there's a couple of different things that are going to have to happen. One, uh, they, they hammer it out. You've got small businesses around America who use TikTok to reach their customers. So they're going to have to go to another platform. They're going to need time to do this. The second thing to be thinking about is you can't – it's not just as simple as going to Apple and Google and saying, remove it from the app store. People have downloaded the app already. So are we going to compel cell phone companies to automatically delete the app um, or block the app from working? You have to go to all the Internet services providers and say you have to block TikTok.com from all of the households and all of the businesses. So it's easier said than done at this point to block it, not just because of the popularity, but just from an architecture standpoint. Um, but obviously, China knows how to do this. They block a lot of American yeah. big tech and social media apps. So maybe we can ask China if they could give us some engineering advice on how to pull yeah. off a ban. And they're, uh, they're warning us not to do company. it. And they're warning us not to do it. But they don't they don't let any of our social media companies get over there. Uh, so that's uh, pretty rich. Teresa Payton, thanks so much. Congratulations on your book, uh, the second edition of uh, Privacy in the Age of Big Data. Thank you, Teresa. Take care, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Be safe out there. I'm going to try. one 408 When we come back, I'm going to take your calls on this and more. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I just would like to go on record of saying I think this is a colossal mistake if they bring these charges. Not this one. You know, I mean, yes, he's done a lot of bad things, and I'm sure he did this. Everything they accuse him of done, he did. First of all, it's not going to work. It's going to be rocket fuel for his 2024 campaign. And it's just going to look to MAGA Nation like, oh, you know, you tried with Mueller. You tried with Ukraine. You tried with January 6th. Now we go to the porn star. Really, you're down to that? He's 100 percent right. And one thing he did go on to say, he said, the problem with Ron DeSantis is you don't go to the tribute band if the band is actually still out there. And that's what they said, that Ron DeSantis is so much like Trump. Why would you not vote for Trump since he's still out there, which is interesting, too. I find this endlessly fascinating 
the way these two are going to go at each other. And I do not eliminate Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, and Mike Pence. And, you know, I asked Governor Christy Noem on Friday, are you thinking about running? She goes, we'll see. And she had a perfect opportunity to do what Ted Cruz has done and Rick Scott has done. Go, no, I'm running for your election. She might get in. So that would be interesting because she's got to get in. A lot of people think she'd be a perfect number two if Trump gets the nomination. But if she comes in and drops the gloves and says, it's time for a new generation of leadership, we're done with this, does that eliminate any shot of that? Here is what Carl Rove said about it, Ron DeSantis's tactics of how to go after Trump and what he should or shouldn't do. Cut 13. First of all, I thought it was wise that he counterpunched and didn't punch. Uh, President Trump unleashed an attack on him, sent his surrogates out to say, here's a big laundry list, one of which was really sort of bizarre. They said, well, you know, he he restricted people on COVID. Well, remember, President Trump was critical of Governor DeSantis when he was one of the first governors in the country to begin to loosen the restrictions. You know, people could come to the beaches, people could go to restaurants and so forth. And I thought he'd get a really powerful counterpunch when he said, I would have fired Fauci. Because there was there was Dr. Fauci alongside yep. President Trump for for all of 2020, and then the second thing is he said he said I'm a no drama kind of guy, and what he's setting up is a contrast between himself and the former president. Because there are a lot of people who say, you know what, I like what Donald Trump did, but I don't like what we had to put up with. Right. Uh, so that was Saturday night. He gets this big crowd, and he went after DeSantis a lot. He opened up with having the inmates who was singing. The national anthem from prison. Now, do I think the January 6th investigation was a waste of time? Absolutely. A big propaganda. Couldn't get in the other side. We had no idea about cross-examination. I thought that uh, Liz Cheney, uh, as well as Adam Kinzinger, surprised me because I thought they were going to use that opportunity to balance it out while still condemning Trump, which they obviously want to do. Got it. Understand it. But when you open up and do that and say January 6th ends up being not a big deal, that's a, that to me is a joke. Of course, January 6th was a terrible day for America. Of course, you shouldn't have had the rally in Washington. Of course, you should have said that don't march over there uh, and have protest. And of course, you should have pushed back and said when they said hang Mike Pence, they, well, what do you want? They're angry. I mean, all that stuff is ridiculous. Don't bring it up. Hope people forgot and then think, I love this guy's policies. He's learned a lot being out of office without a Mueller probe. I think he'd be a great president. That's where I thought the president was heading because I'm getting all these great text messages about policies and procedures, and here our greatest staff is. Here's a little of his rally in Waco on Saturday night. Cut one. The district attorney of New York, under the auspices and direction of the Department of Injustice in Washington, D.C., was investigating me for something that is not a crime, not a misdemeanor, not an affair. I never liked horse face. I never liked, I never, it's just not, it's a terrible thing. That wouldn't be the one. There is no one. We have a great first lady. This is really prosecutorial misconduct. That's what it's called. The innocence of people makes no difference whatsoever to these radical left maniacs. The weaponization of our justice system is not, as some have called it, a political spectacle. This is the central issue of our time. So this is what's left. So you got the Bragg case, which is a joke. I hope they just end it. 
as Bill Maher said, it's only going to help the former president, but he shouldn't have even been through this. 17 years ago, it happened. Seven years ago, it was brought up. This is a total waste of time. Next is the January 6th investigation, and they're making Mark Meadows, Robert O'Brien, John Radcliffe talk about what went on behind the scenes then. It seems to me that there's executive privilege there, but evidently not now. So you want to do the January 6th investigation. Didn't we just have that? And then you have the Mar-a-Lago investigation, which should they have made Donald Trump's attorney, Evan Corcoran, testify behind closed doors for three and a half hours. Since when? I've never heard this. Obviously, it happens. But I've never heard of them telling your attorney, hey, you know your client? We're investigating your client, so we want to talk to you about what he said in private. They think that he had a role in whatever happened in in possibly hiding these documents. That's what the outsiders say that aren't they on the inside. He's the attorney. He's representing him. To me, and with a former president, not only using kid gloves, you've dropped the gloves. And number two, it's what about the information? Who brought all the paperwork over to the Penn Center of Joe Biden with all the classified documents? Who left it in his garage? What else was left in his house? What did they find in his other house? What did they find in his lawyer's house, excuse me, his lawyer's office over in Boston? Do we know what the University of Delaware? What was happening? What was the genesis of all these documents that turned up in all these places? Why are we only hearing about one investigation? Then you got the Georgia case. It's up to the DA. The DA is... uh, is obviously a Democrat, left wing, try to make her name for herself. She's sitting on the grand jury's recommendations. We'll have to see how serious it is. In the short term, I think it'll help the president. But if he keeps on stepping on his own tongue, that's a problem. From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Michael Gooden was uh, ready to let it all uh, hang out in a matter of moments. And Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank will be giving us uh, heads and tails uh, and tells us what's up with the economy. Uh, so we have a lot to discuss today, of course, uh, in Midtown Manhattan. A lot of people are focused on what's happening with the president, former president of the United States about the indictment. Or if you believe the president, he believes uh, the case is already over. Alvin Bragg has lost. We'll see where that goes. And the president had a big rally over the weekend. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. The banking system is resilient and it's sound. The banking system has a strong capital position and a lot of liquidity and has the full support of the Federal Reserve and other regulators standing behind it. Well, more uneasiness over regional banks as SVB finds a buyer as more and more Americans lose faith in the institution and this administration's ability to deal with the economy. We will discuss. Number two. We showed a video in that last segment of the president on TikTok from a video shot by a celebrity inside the White House. It's not on government. It's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. It's not on government devices. TikTok's got to go, but a bigger policy plan has to be put in place right away as more Chinese apps are beginning to take over the app store. Even more evidence emerges that China is trying to take over place every place that we dominate in the world, from Central to South America to Africa. Number one. They keep saying, oh, I think DeSantis can do okay with farmers. I don't think so. Based, based on polls, he's not doing okay with anything. 
Trump front and center again. Four cases threaten his candidacy, but New York could indeed just go away. But we'll find out about Ron DeSantis and how he's going to respond to the constant criticism from the former president. So let's bring on Michael Goodwin from the New York Post and beyond. Michael, welcome back. Morning, Brian. Thank you. Uh, first off, how do you feel about the president's rally? I don't know how much you're able to see or the highlights you're able to glean. Well, uh, not much. Uh, not, I, I didn't see much. Let me put it that way. Um, uh, but at, as I understand, it was a lot of the same. I mean, it's it's very much. Um, these are almost like you know grievance sessions in a way. And look, I understand he's running for president, and he's got a lot of criticisms of the existing administration, but. I think increasingly what we're what we're seeing, Brian, is a an exclusionary approach to it in that he's running more than ever before, it seems to me, against Mitch McConnell, you know, against the sitting many members of the sitting Senate. And there's a kind of purity test that he's imposing on all of the people he will endorse. And I don't I mean, even he went so far in a previous rally to talk about uh, Charlie Crist, uh, the former a former governor of uh, Florida, doing very well, too. He said he was a Republican who became a Democrat and uh, in a way to diminish DeSantis. And so it feels awfully early to be going down this road to where you're just waging war on fellow Republicans. And I I don't know that – it just feels too early. There there won't be a single caucus vote or a primary for nearly a year. Uh, But he seems determined to clear the field now to – to, again, be the person who will smash not only the Democratic Party, but the Republican Party. And, you know, I was reading something over the weekend about a strong Republican who supported him, but who is disappointed in many of the people he uh, Trump appointed, Jeff Sessions and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So Rex Tillerson. Yes, I'm not sure that that President Trump has a leg to stand on in this way, in the way that he did in 2016 when he was truly an outsider. It's a different thing when you've been president. People saw your appointments. They saw your policies. And most of the policies remain popular among Republicans but not so much the appointments. So I think it's kind of a slippery slope when he goes down that hill demolishing all the Republicans as well as the Democrats. I just think that he has such an opportunity now uh, to run on his policy, so much of which Joe Biden went out of his way to reverse from the border to Afghanistan to what's happening in Syria to uh, seeing the emboldened China giving away Central and South America, actually pushing for a communist like Lula to take over Brazil. You see what's happened uh, with inflation. The fact is the spending that's taken place. He has so much to run on, but he seemed to just focus on something uh, on more on DeSantis than anything else. And you write, too, that he had Bragg obviously overstepping and trying to charge him. But some of his truth socials at the end getting so aggressive hurt him. Yeah. You know, Brian, I I, I think my my overall view is that uh, 
you're, you're right about the policies uh, and and the distinction between Trump's policies and Biden's becomes more apparent every day. I mean, Biden's policies, I can't think of one of them that's working as promised. It, it's quite the opposite. It seems to me across the board, his major policies are an absolute failure that are that are quite dangerous to the country. And and you're also right. I mean, China is making a move. China is everywhere. making a very big move on the global stage. That's right. It's everywhere. Mark Levin last night went through just a number of the examples. And you put it all together, and China is now making a move for world domination. That's been the long-time goal. We said it was all kind of a fantasy, but here it is. That It's unfolding now. And I think the fact that Joe Biden is president is a very big part of the calculation. So why does Donald Trump then want to focus on things that I think remind people of the bad parts of the Trump era? And so to me, his policies are good. His policies should be refined. But his personality, his personality needs a redo. He needs, to me, he needs to refresh uh, the personality parts of this, the, the grumbling, the snide attacks, the, you know, the nicknames and all of that. It just doesn't feel to me it's going to work again. I, f- for the life of me, I don't think there's a prayer that it works in a general election. So it right now be- the public opinion polls is, is a public opinion strategy surveys were conducted March 21st to 23rd in New Hampshire and Iowa DeSantis tops Trump in Iowa, ties him in New Hampshire uh, head-to-head at 45 for him in Iowa to 37 for Trump. And uh, New Hampshire, the tied at 39. Obviously, Chris Sununu gets in there. He's going to get a portion of that vote, so we don't know who's going to suffer. Uh, but also, there's the whole thing about punching down. You're the, you are the Republican champ. So you want to say that, you know, I'm the guy, this is what I'll do, these other guys are pretenders. But he goes after DeSantis. Now they're publishing pictures of him wearing a helmet, comparing him to Dukakis. The guy served in the in the Navy. He was in Iraq. Yeah, yeah. Look, but this is Trump's playbook, and that I think is is part of his problem is that he hasn't updated the playbook. It's it's 2016 all over again. It's 2020 all over again. He needs a new suit. He he needs some people need a reason to consider him again, right? He needs to give people new, uh, he needs to surprise people on the upside. I believe if, if I were running his campaign, I would say to him, Mr. President, you got people on your policies. You've won that battle and you continue to win it every day. Joe Biden is president. What, where you are losing is people don't like you. Millions upon millions of millions of Americans voted for Joe Biden because they don't like you. And so you've got to give them a new reason to like you again. And I know this is not pancakes and this is not a child's game. Of course you have to win. You have to compare and contrast your record. I just think this smash-mouth, scorched-earth policy of other Republicans at this point – 
it doesn't work because it just reveals the president's personality in a bad light. That's that. Look, I'm not a political handler. I, I've never run a campaign, been involved in one, so I might. But you witnessed and reported wrong. on a ton of them. But yes, but I might be entirely wrong about what's motivating. Look, I think Trump has a good hold on a big plurality of the Republican Party, but he's got to run this campaign to win a general election. There's no glory in losing the general election for a second time. And then uh, say you were cheated. Uh, it's not yeah, going to work. Well, there's that, right? Right. So that that would be the key. So they say donors are uh, for those. Uh, according to NBC, they do a report that a few of these donors are holding uh, holding off on giving it to DeSantis after the week he had. They believe the brakes are pumped because he flip flopped on on Ukraine. On the other hand, you have President Trump saying he predicts that uh, Russia is going to win uh, against Ukraine. Yeah, so, look, I mean, uh, I mean, I think it's awfully early to write DeSantis off. I mean, I've seen some of those stories. I mean, it's shocking. It's like, oh, people are hesitating. My goodness, it's March. It's March of the year before the election. Uh, it seems awfully early to declare his candidacy a dud. I mean, this is a guy who, who you know, all the polls in Florida predicted a pretty close race. He won by almost 20 points. Um, so I, I think it's too soon for DeSantis to be labeled a failure. And uh, look, I, of you know, people don't want to give him money. They don't have to give him money. But I think this this idea that uh, he's made mistakes, they're fatal mistakes. I think that in part, Brian, is a consequence of Trump being out there so early and going after him so hard. Look, let's face it. Trump wants to clear the field. He doesn't want to really have Republican opponents. He wants to be able to be the king now and be able to focus on Biden. I mean, that's what every candidate wants is to clear the field. But I think I think DeSantis is still a very strong candidate. I and I think that the the weakness that Trump shows among the swing voters in swing states is what is where DeSantis has more potential appeal. So I want you to hear Mark Warner say he got briefed on possible indictment of Trump in New York. This is what he said, the Democrat from Virginia. Cut seven. Whichever of these prosecutions move forward, and uh, Lord knows this guy appears to have as many things, done lots of things inappropriately. Um, But I hope whoever moves forward has a rock-solid case. Because the ramifications in Georgia, the ramifications at Mar-a-Lago, the ramifications of January 6th, and the ramifications in New York having the first president indicted make us look like Venezuela, make us look like Brazil. You know, when Bolsonaro goes back, they're going to look to put him in jail for not, for not being a communist. So, uh, you know, what they did with Musharraf in Pakistan, the leader's got to flee to not get arrested. That's what it's going to look like to the rest of the world. Well, uh, and I think Mark Warner is right. You've got to have a really strong case so you don't give that impression that you're just prosecuting your opposition. You're weaponizing the government for political purposes. Right now, that that burden is is hanging over all of these cases, particularly the New York case, which is which is based on a novel legal theory, uh, and I think the Georgia case. Again, it's a state case. Uh, and I, th- I think those are 
pushing the boundaries of what people could possibly accept. Now, the two big federal cases being run by a special prosecutor, I think, have another burden, which is where is the special prosecutor on Joe Biden's case? There is one, but we haven't heard anything. Not a word. But we hear a lot about the Trump special prosecutor. So, again, look, I, I think there is a legitimate concern that these are political prosecutions, that Donald Trump is being treated differently because he's Donald Trump. And this is, this is I think, uh, Brian, uh, for Democrats, this is a kind of pornography, that to see Donald Trump in handcuffs – is, is a fantasy that many in the Democratic Party have had for a long time. And it, it would be a celebration like we've never seen, which is another reason to distrust it, because it is politically oriented. There's so, no way. Yeah, you're never going to convince me the Mar-a-Lago case is valid. You're never going to convince me January 6th with all the investigation. Now they're going after him. They're gonna, now they're making his lawyer testify in the Mar-a-Lago case. That's unheard of. Not only are you not treating him with kid gloves, you're changing the rules because you're yeah. saying that your lawyer played a role in, in, in keeping documents. And when you know Donald Trump, do a background check. The guy doesn't read, didn't read his daily brief. You think he wants anything except posters and memorabilia? He had nothing. He's not doing anything. They act like he's got Russian documents so he can call Vladimir Putin with it. That ship has sailed, just like it sailed right through the Corvette. Uh, the classic Corvette in in uh, Joe Biden's garage. So yeah. to me, this stuff is some of this stuff is so ridiculous. Well, and especially when you compare it to the Biden situation, where's the Hunter Biden case? Right. I mean, it's impossible not to conclude that the FBI is slow walking this case to protect the Biden family. Absolutely. I mean, there's no other there's no other justification for a case that's going on for five years. Why is Hunter Biden not complaining that the Justice Department has taken five years to investigate him and it's ruined his reputation and not given him a ding? Because he knows they're on his side. That's why. That's why he's not complaining. If he really was, if they really were investigating, think of the legal fees he would be complaining about. But he's not complaining because they're doing him a favor. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much from the New York Post. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure, Brian. Thank uh, you. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We gave you a lot. Let's hear what you have to say. Bottom of the hour, Kevin O'Leary, heads and tails of the economy. Don't move. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, I think we should be concerned that our deterrent posture vis-a-vis Iran is crumbling. We can't afford another failure of deterrence like that, which we saw in Ukraine. Some practical steps going forward, in my opinion, would be to reimpose a policy of maximum economic pressure, abandon an attempt to resuscitate the Joint uh, Comprehensive Plan of Action, as well as force the Pentagon to deliver something they're late on, which is a report on the U.S.-Israeli Technology Working Group, which should have a suite of practical proposals for how we can turbocharge our technological cooperation with the Israelis, help them better defend against the threat of missiles, help us better defend against the threat of Iranian missiles or Iranian proxy militias. So very concerning, more we need to do, and we need to have a clear-eyed view of the regime we're facing in Tehran.
Yeah, I'll begin your calls uh, shortly. I guess I just went a little bit too long last block, but Mike Gallagher is as impressive as anybody I know uh, in Congress, and especially some new talent there. And if you listen to him, he's responding to the fact that, stunningly, Iran uh, proxies were hitting our bases with our 900 people killing a contractor, and then after we hit them back, they hit us back again. We have to answer with devastating effect. And the first thing out of the president's mouth is... The first thing out of his mouth is, we don't want war with Iran. Excuse me. They're bombing us. And we're, we're saying we don't want war with you? We're the superior power. They should fear us. Why is that so hard for him to understand? And the Pentagon, too. I don't know what has happened to our Defense Department, but they got to get rebooted, and uh, somebody should twist their head on right. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. TikTok's presence and its influence and its ability to scoop up Americans' data and use it, and the fact that that data is vulnerable to the Chinese Communist Party, is something that everyone now has to admit. Even though the TikTok CEO won't admit it, it's obviously true. This is not only a vector for uh, invading Americans' privacy. It's a vector for the Chinese Communist Party to insert its influence into our information space through the phones of our children. I don't think the Biden administration has the guts to go through with it and fight the legal battle that would follow. So I think that, uh, you know, we're not all the way there yet. At least we can admit that we have a problem. As much as I'm into a free market, I'm not into providing the weapon to slit our own throats. And Josh Rogan's referring to that from The Washington Post when he said he's not going to ban TikTok because he's afraid of losing voters. Uh, and then he talks about the free market and there's 20 million people or they made an average of these influencers on TikTok. These small business people made about 20 million dollars last year. They don't want to give that up. Uh, when it comes to our national security, when it comes to China, I think we should make up special rules. Uh, let's bring in uh, Kevin O'Leary, chairman of the O'Leary, of O'Leary Ventures, uh, one of the stores of Shark Tank. Uh, Kevin, great to have you back. Thank you very much. Hey, just uh, just on your thought, I know you're a free market guy. How do you feel about uh, aligning our enemies, naming them, and not allowing them to have free reign at our market like China has when it comes to TikTok? Well, I, I actually think the best way to deal with China going forward, and I've uh, been in this camp for about 11 years now because I have a lot of issues doing business with them, and I'm living the real life in terms of getting ripped off my IP. Anytime I get a product that I'm manufacturing there past $5 million in sales here stateside, they knock it off, and I can't litigate them in their courts. So I just what, – what they understand, and I don't want to sound too hawkish, but this is a pragmatic way to deal with it. There's no negotiating with them. They only understand the stick. And we're a bigger stick right now because our economy is bigger, and they need us actually more than we need them. Apple was over there yesterday. Uh, there's tens of thousands of jobs a year. We create manufacturing uh, jobs for Apple just to manufacture iPhones. Uh, we also market there. But this idea of reciprocity, in other words, make it equal football game for both sides. And I'll give you an example. If I can't sue you for stealing my stuff and manufacturing it, selling it to your domestic market in China, which I can't, no problem. You can't litigate in our courts here either. 
just the same, same football game, yep. level playing field. If I can't figure out a way to stop you from stealing, stealing my IP and we rip you off here, okay, no problem. Fair game, equal playing field. Now, TikTok, you don't let me put Google. I can't put Twitter there. You shut down Facebook a long time ago. You don't let our tech companies into your domestic market. You knock them off, and you create equivalents and grow those. No problem. If you're Chinese, you've got to be shut down here. So I have to, what we have to do to be fair is to make them sell TikTok so that it's on American servers. And this is not about being vindictive. It's if you let us put Google there and let our companies compete, you can compete here too. By the way, if you want to raise money on our markets, because we can't do it on yours, mm, got to delist your stocks off the New York Stock Exchange. You know, it's the, that's the only way to deal with these guys. They're, they're not – and I have all the respect in the world for the people of China, but it's the policies that are now tipped in their favor, and it's time to fight back. So I've become extremely hawkish on what to do with China. I really want to fight back. I want to do everything they're doing to us in their country. I want to do the exact same thing to them here. But I want to tell them about it. I would say, look, you get six months to clean your act up on accounting with your listed Chinese companies, or like our companies, you're going to get delisted. You've got to play by the rules. That's the deal with China. And believe me, they'll respect that. They respect the stick. They understand the stick. They want the stick. Let's give them the stick. I hear you. And I just don't know why where people are reluctant to do it. I think Trump started to do it. I think we're getting in that place. But now they're competing with us in Central America, in South America, in Africa, trying to take over the Middle East. We know that they're trying to combine now with Iran and Russia. I think we have to, as a country, if you want to lead this nation, we have to go acknowledge that. And then it won't be so hard to get kids off TikTok. But, I, but the president's obviously not a fan of that school of thought because he just did a big thing on St. Patrick's Day with this big TikTok influencer. So obviously he doesn't take it that uh, serious, Kevin. But I want to talk it's about, about policy. You, know, you don't even have to get into politics. You can say who's ever in the White House. You, got, you have to show the stick. You should invite the Chinese over and show them a golden stick and say this stick goes either way. It's the stick of friendship or... It's the stick of competition, whichever you wish. Now, if you don't clean your act up in your country and you don't let us compete and you keep whacking us with all your IP theft and we can't protect our IP over there, we're going to do the same to you. I really like that idea because somebody in there is going to get the joke, and right now we're still a bigger economy. We have to apply the stick now. Absolutely, and they need our market. So I'm talking, obviously, with Kevin O'Leary. Kevin, this is what Neil Kashkari said about the state of our banking system. You know he is the... Uh, the federal, the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, cut 31. The banking system is resilient and it's sound. The banking system has a strong capital position and a lot of liquidity and has the full support of the Federal Reserve and other regulators standing behind it. Now, I'm not saying that all of the stresses are behind us. I expect this process will take some time, but fundamentally, the banking system is sound. Do you agree? Not quite. Um, this provision that the Fed has put in place, this special loan provision, is for one year. There's some confusion about whether we're guaranteeing every deposit or not for full amounts beyond 250000 That's not resolved. The, the bigger issue that I think we should all get our heads around, and we want a very vibrant banking system. It's, you know, there's 11 sectors in the S&P economy, and banking is one of them, financial services. But it's the only sector that services all other 10 as well. So you've got to have 
basic good banking. Now, here's the issue. We've got thousands of tiny regional banks, and when they were set up up to 100 years ago, it made total sense to do that because the emerging economy of our country at that time was different in every geography. What was going on in California was different than what was going on in New York, different than Florida, different than the Midwest, and so the lenders had to accommodate the uniqueness of each of those geographies' economy. That is not the case today because we have, in the last 20 years, digitized all banking. In other words, 99% of transactions, even in regional banks, are online. That's very efficient. But it also makes the use and need for regional banks a little redundant. And so what happens when you have a bank like Silicon Valley Bank or First Republic or Signature Bank, these are the most recent failures, it's not because the banking system is broken. It's because the people running those banks were idiots. I hate to say it that way, but it's true. So our system works very efficiently. When you get an idiot doing something, he goes bankrupt, and someone else buys it, which is what has occurred today. And that's okay, but the bigger problem long-term is why do we need so many little regional banks? And here's the big, big issue that I think is going to become the narrative for the next six months. Okay, I'm a farmer in Florida, all right? I pay my taxes. I work in the Agrarian Society of Florida. I grow food for the rest of the country. Maybe it's oranges or whatever it is. Then you tell me that it's a banker in California who lends money to highly speculative startups in technology. He blows himself up, and I have to pay for it? I don't think so. I don't want to do that. I'm going to worry about what I'm doing here in Florida. So what we need to do is to figure out how to put the state into this equation, because if you want to run your state with bad policy, like in Massachusetts or in New Jersey or in New York or California, where the regulatory environment is so brutal and so hard to maneuver that business can't really function there, well, then why shouldn't they eat their own state banks? Why aren't they responsible for them? And I think that's where we're going to go, because you've got a shining example of this in the state of North Dakota, the only state with its own sovereign bank. They don't have failures in North Dakota because the Bank of North Dakota doesn't compete with the regional banks there. It supports them. When there's trouble, it helps one of them out. They take care of their own and their bank on the assets of their incredible economy, which is based on energy and agrarian, you know, a lot of food and grain grown there. But those guys get the joke. We should look at North Dakota, say, let's get every other state their own sovereign bank and let them eat their own cooking. When they screw up, they eat it. And all of a sudden, you've got a big daddy bank looking over the small guys, making sure they don't screw up. That's what we need. Well, that's very interesting, uh, Kevin O'Leary, our guest. Kevin, how do you feel about uh, First Citizens Bank uh, buying buying SVB? Well, what you should care about is the taxpayer ate $20 billion of that deal. So, you know, it wasn't a perfect buyout in it by any means. The crappy assets they didn't buy. And so the way to look at it, the FDIC insurance, every every politician will tell you, oh, that doesn't – that's not the taxpayer. That's a load of crapola. Here's why. The banks themselves pay into that fund. The way they get the money to pay to that fund is they charge you banking fees. So it's a burden on the banking system. It has about $120 billion in it. On this transaction alone, 16% of that insurance was used up when the FDIC ate 
$20 billion worth of garbage on that balance sheet. So you, as a taxpayer, paid for that. Never let a politician tell you it doesn't cost the taxpayer a dime. That is such BS. It always costs the taxpayer all of the time, every day. That's what government is. It's funded by the people, by the people. And it's fees one way or another. This is something I pound the table on all the time. So do I want to pay another $20 billion for the next idiot bank? No, thank you. How about it just goes to zero because they were idiots, and people that put their money with idiot bankers have to pay a price for that. That way you start to get a little more creative and start thinking about, wait a second, why don't I diversify where I'm holding my cash into maybe three or four or five banks because I'm not sure where the black swan idiot banker is, and you never will be. Well, the CEO of... Uh of the uh, of Silicon Valley Bank ends up being on the San Francisco Fed that was warned in 2019 and 2021 about their balance sheet and about the increasing rates and how they were out of sorts and he did nothing and that guy better not have gotten paid off nor the whole board one of which had banking experience which is outrageous I got to ask you you did mention about different states you, Kevin O'Leary will not do doesn't think it's a good idea to do business in places like New York and California why is it so formidable so I think it's fair to have competition between states. Now, think about it this way. Since 1954, when they started taking statistics on venture capital, money that starts great American companies, that is 64 percent of our economy, still is. So you care about funding startups. Now, 95 percent, 94 percent of that since 1954 went to two states, Massachusetts around the MIT and Harvard hub and Silicon Valley in California, the birthplace of a lot of interesting technology from the transistor on board. And so that's where you'd naturally put it. Today, I would never invest a dime in either of those states. California is not in business. The regulatory environment is absolutely chaos, and the taxes are just prohibitive and uncompetitive. The same can be said for Massachusetts, but it's worse there. That, there's a place where if you're successful as an individual, you're punished by Elizabeth Warren's super tax. Shame on you for being a great American entrepreneur. Right. You have to be taxed. That is ridiculous to pay a super tax. That is fundamentally against what made this country great in the first place. I so think that is a huge problem that I don't want to reward it by putting a dime into that place. Now, I respect her as a politician. She's very successful. I do not agree with her policy. And luckily, we have competition. So why don't I just take that company and move it to Kentucky, Tennessee, North Dakota, South Dakota, somewhere where the taxes are competitive and the regulatory environment is pro-business. And the reason I can do that today that I never could just three years ago is in a post-pandemic economy, 40% of my staff work outside of the headquarters. So I can put an HQ anywhere wow. I want, and that's exactly what I'm doing. That's the whole idea. Punish bad policy with your money. Starve these states out of these policies, because that's exactly what's happening. You look at what's going on in Florida with real estate values, billions of dollars, $5 billion a year transferring out of these East Coast highly taxed states down to the Florida economy, to Texas. This competition among states is a real narrative right. now. Let me give you one other example that nails it on the head. It's not about just one year of policy or one politician or one senator or one governor. This tells the story. In the state of Minnesota, there's a town called Moorhead. 
200 yards across the river is Fargo, North Dakota. 50 years ago, each one of those towns had 48,000 people living in them, okay? Exactly the same. Fast forward to today. Fargo has 261,000 people, Microsoft's second largest campus, a booming art scene, manufacturing facilities, largest manufacturer in the states for vaccines, biotech, pharma, all of that booming. Across the river, 200 yards, 30,000 feet. Drive over in a car, it looks like you're stepping into Cuba. It's a wasteland. That's the difference between the punitive tax policy of Minnesota, the estate tax in Minnesota, the unstable regulatory environment. Great example. Last question. What's with Sam Bankman-Fried, Kevin? Uh, Have you got any of your money back? Have you got any answers? No one does. And that whole narrative on FTX has turned to recovery. The story is interesting. Over $4 billion found in Nassau, where the government is holding on to it because they say the alleged fraud occurred on the islands. Obviously, we've also got FTX US, where they found over a billion dollars as well. The bankruptcy court's trying to lasso all these moving gotcha. parts. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. It's going to take yeah. a lot of years. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, always, in for, always great. Thanks so much, Kevin. Best of luck. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, everyone. This is Rep AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and this is my first TikTok. Do I believe TikTok should be banned? No. Why should TikTok not be banned? The United States has never before banned a social media company from existence, from operating in our borders. And this is an app that has over 150 million Americans on it. Yeah, as usual, it shows short-term thinking. Uh, She didn't understand everything Kevin O'Leary mapped out from Google to Facebook on down. We're not allowed to do that, but they're allowed to go ahead and infiltrate our country. Ben, listening in Michigan. Hey, Ben. Yeah, hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, listen, I've listened to your previous guest start talking about Trump. Uh, listen, I'm a previous Trump supporter, voted for him twice, but he needs to get off this case about uh, attacking other Republicans, particularly DeSantis, and he needs to be keen specifically on Biden's failed policies and nothing more. So easy, uh, Ben, he, right? Isn't it obvious? Yes. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it's so it's so true. That's where he's going to, that's where he's going to, and evidently, every time he mentioned DeSantis, it was total silence. No one booed, no one cheered, no one laughed, because people aren't comfortable with it. 44-year-old veteran who's a successful two-term governor uh, and a very good congressman who was, who was very similar to Trump, except for he's got more discipline. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We have a lot to discuss this hour. We'll do it from the Republican side. From Alice Conant, uh, founding partner at Firehouse Strategies, used to work with Marco Rubio, Sandra Smith at the bottom of the hour, and of course your calls at one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We come to you from New York, where we know at any minute, really for the last 10 days, we could have heard a historic indictment 
uh, the former president of the United States. Although I think that looks unlikely. We're dependent on unnamed sources. We have great reporters, but we don't know any of the 24 grand jurors who will decide if the president should be indicted. I, I, he shouldn't be, in my view. We'll find out. Uh, we'll continue to monitor that. We know the vice president is in Africa trying to make some gains. Let's see how that goes. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The banking system is resilient and it's sound. The banking system has a strong capital position and a lot of liquidity and has the full support of the Federal Reserve and other regulators standing behind it. That is uh, Neil Kashkari uh, talking about what's going on with that banking system after another forced merger. More uneasiness and with the regionals. We'll talk about SVB and finding a buyer and why so many are upset with Janet Yellen. Think she's got to go. Number two. We showed a video in that last segment of the <clears throat> president on TikTok. From a video shot by a celebrity inside the White House. It's not on it government. It looks hypocritical. It's, hypocritical. Not, it's not on government devices. <laughs> TikTok. Got to go. But the president still likes TikTokers to come over, not on government devices. What a joke. When are we going to stop acting like patsies for the Chinese to infiltrate our borders? Number one. They keep saying, oh, I think the Sanctus can do okay with farmers. I don't think so. Based, based on polls, he's not doing okay with anything. Trump front and center again. Four cases threaten his candidacy, but New York could indeed uh, just go away, as he says. Well, like they should. And then he takes aim at Ron DeSantis. Is that a good strategy for all involved? Uh, with me right now to discuss this and so much more, it's Alex Conant. Uh, you know, he works, uh, started his own company, the Firehouse Strategies. Alex, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Alex, impressive crowd for the former president of the United States in Waco. And uh, he was fired up. But what about his decision to go heavily after uh, after a lot of Republicans, including Ron DeSantis. Is that what you do in primaries? It, it is if you're Donald Trump. <laughs> Believe me. I mean, I was on the receiving end of that when I worked for Marco Rubio back in 2016. Uh, and look, Donald Trump is at his best when he's on the attack, and he know, he knows it. And so uh, he sees, like everybody, that Ron DeSantis has been moving up in the polls. I think the governor's had a couple of really good months, starting with his historic reelection in Florida. Uh, and he thinks he needs to slow him down. And the best way to do that, if you're Donald Trump, is to get on the attack and and, and you know start talking about you know how DeSantis' poll numbers have stalled out a little bit, uh, throw some other mud at the governor just to just to just to try to slow down his momentum a little bit. And you know, frankly, I think it's very early, but it seems to have worked at least a little bit for now. Well, we'll see. We do see two uh, polls have been uh, DeSantis up by about eight in Iowa. And a dead heat in New Hampshire, the public policy poll, I don't know what you think of it. But in the Monmouth poll, it looks like, and some other polls, it looks on the national level, going by 1,000 people or so, it looks like uh, Trump's having a pretty good week. Had a pretty good week. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't put too much stock in the polls at this point. As you know, the Iowa caucuses, the New Hampshire primary, I mean, it's 10 months from now. There's going to be lots of ups and downs. And, you know, I think at this point in the race, when I was running with Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush was leading in all the polls. So it, it, it's it's really early. That said, look, I think that Ron DeSantis has clearly shown that a lot of Republicans are at least interested in hearing what he has to say. His first couple of trips to the early states seem to have been received very well. And I think Donald Trump knows, like, if you're going to define him, if you're going to if you're going to try to slow him down, now is the time to do it. And that's that's why he's going on the offense. 
And I think nationally may have may have been working a little bit. But look, it's early. The other thing going on here, Brian, is obviously you just referenced it the 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 court case in New York, which clearly has Republicans rallying behind the former president. Uh, you know, I think it's far too soon to know how all all those legal cases play out ten months from now. But I think at least in the short term, it's clearly benefiting the former president. So here is a little from the Waco event. Cut eleven. They keep saying, oh, I think DeSantis can do okay with farmers. I don't think so. Based, based on polls, he's not doing okay with anything. But in the case of Florida, they unfortunately did shut it down. They shut down the beaches. They shut down everything. So now that people are finding out about what happened, they're saying, man, he's dropping like a rock. And I wonder why. But, you know, you never like it when somebody comes. You see, I'm a loyalist. They say, sir, don't talk about that, sir, because people don't want to hear that. But I do because I'm a loyal person. Sir, if you endorse me, I'll win. Please. Please, sir, endorse me. And I said, all right, let's give it a shot, because honestly, the Secretary of Agriculture, Adam Putnam, good man, but I never met him. I didn't know him. So I don't feel guilty about it. You know, if you don't know somebody, I wish I knew him, actually. You want to know the truth? I wouldn't have done this. So what happened is I said, let's give it a shot, Ron. And I endorsed him, and he became like a rocket ship. Within one day, the race was over. He got the nomination. But when you're getting a guy so he gets the nomination because of you, he wins the election because of you, two years later, the fake news is up there saying, will you run against the president? Will you run? And he says, I have no comment. I say, that's not supposed to happen. I have no comment. No. So I'm not, I'm not a big fan. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, that's that's all typical, you know, Donald Trump. I mean, I, I had flashbacks to 2016, uh, you know, hearing him kind of make some of those attacks on, on DeSantis. And, you know, it's vintage Trump because, of course, he overstates a lot of it. I mean, the truth is Ron DeSantis is doing very well with farmers. As you just said, he's doing well in Iowa. Uh, and, look, when he won that reelection. Look, I've worked a lot of races in Florida. There's a lot of farmers. There's a lot of agriculture in in in, in Florida, and 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 DeSantis has done very well with them. So, look, it's early. I know DeSantis has some momentum. Trump's trying to slow him down. Uh, you know, I think what's going to be really interesting to see how DeSantis responds to that over the next couple of weeks. So, I mean, he has gone at him a little bit. Says, you know, I don't really know anything about hush money. I wouldn't have any experience in that. And then say, basically, he's a he's a guy who would have liked the policies, but he's not going to have the drama. So those are, that's pretty much what people like you, Alex, say. Uh, tell everybody that you'll govern like Trump just without the dramatics. And he basically yeah, has said those two things. A lot of people are pushing him to get in earlier. But before you comment, I want you to hear what Peggy Noonan said about Ron DeSantis and the question she has for him. I wonder if you have the same one. Cut 12. You look at DeSantis, you see his record. You sort of have one question. You have a few questions, but one is, why is he running does he know? If he knows, maybe he could let yeah. everybody else know, and maybe that will help him at a difficult time. Well, you know, I'm the, just not sure I'm seeing why he's running. Well, he's not running yet, but if he does run, do you have the same question? Well, as you said, he, has, he isn't running yet. And so, look, I think in the, in, the, in the speeches that I've seen Ron DeSantis give in the last couple of weeks, it seems to me like if he runs, it's because he feels like he was a very successful governor of Florida. Uh, which means that he'll be a successful president of the United States. But I do think that if he runs, like he has to more directly answer Peggy Newton's question: Why is he running? Why does he feel he'll be he would be a better president than than 
than Donald Trump, uh, and obviously, you know, Joe Biden if he wins the nomination. So, I, but look, we're so early. I mean, it's, it's ten months from the contest; he hasn't even gotten in the race yet. Uh, but that said, look, I've worked as you know, Brian. I've worked on a lot of presidential campaigns. They are it is really, really hard running for president. You know, even Donald Trump had a couple had a lot of really bad weeks when he ran for president in 2016, and obviously didn't win when he ran for reelection in 2020. It, even if you're a great candidate, it is really hard to run for president. I think you know, Ron DeSantis is going to have good weeks. He's going to have a couple of really bad weeks. I can guarantee you that if he's running for president. And that's all part of the process. Look, if you can survive the test of running for president, you're probably going to be a pretty good president. You know, what's interesting is that Donald Trump's got this advantage. His policies look better every day for the country. Uh, you know, foreign policy, even domestic policy. Just look at the results. If he ran on that... Uh, and yeah. talk about what I was unable to get done, explain why, and then what he wants to do and what he would do different and how he knows personnel better. It just seems to me to be the, the perfect answer uh, overall. And also these court cases in the backdrop, I thought it was brilliant the way he came out and went on the offensive because uh, I don't think Bragg's going to be able to charge him. Everyone thought it was ridiculous. But at the end of the week, he put out those Truth Social talking about death and destruction and had a picture of him with a bat. Then all of a sudden he becomes the negative side of the story instead of Bragg being the negative side of the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you talked about how you know Trump's been going up in the polls and, and DeSantis has kind of flatlined or gone down a little bit in some of the national polls in recent weeks. I think part of it is because of people rallying him around him around these court cases. I think the other thing is that look, he's run a very disciplined campaign for the last couple of months, one that we did not see in 2020. He's got a really he's surrounded himself with a lot of professionals this time. Has run a very disciplined campaign. That seemed to start to fall apart a little bit over the last seventy-two hours with the social media posts that you talked about on Friday. You know, with with a lot of what he was saying on Saturday night. He needs to. I totally agree with you, Brian. If, if the former president talks about his policy successes while he was in office, uh, you know, he will likely win the nomination, and he'll be a he'll be a formidable general election candidate. But he has to maintain that level of discipline. I, I watch a lot of focus groups of Republican voters, a lot of focus groups of Trump voters, and the Trump voters say they love his policies, they love what he did when he was president, but even they are tired of the drama and the chaos. And I think you know clearly DeSantis is, has seen similar focus groups because he he talks a lot about how you know if he's elected, there's not going to be the drama. There's no drama in Tallahassee. There's no drama in his in his office. I do think a lot of voters want to have conservative leadership but are tired of the constant chaos and drama that we've had with Donald Trump. And I think, you know, if he can, if Trump can kind of turn a leaf and be a little bit more disciplined as he has been in recent weeks, I think that'll go a long way to, to helping him win the, win the nomination again. Yeah. It'll be very, uh, very interesting because if he's indicted in the short term, I think it'll help. But long term, I mean, when you're indicted, it's uh, kind of easier if you're a Democrat to say that the other guy is, is not worthy of the office. Uh, but if he's able to beat these cases, he'll be, he'll be turbocharged. He's got to beat four of them. Uh, and also yeah. the inequity of it, the Mar-a-Lago is composed to the Penn Center and uh, Rehoboth, as well as the University of Delaware, uh, the, his Corvette, his garage. And then when you meet the, that's one case, you could easily say dual, uh, dual justice. Uh, what about equal justice? And then when you took at the other case uh, in Georgia and you see the foreman who is absolutely out of her mind, she came off absolutely crazy. Is that the person who's going to indict, be the first person to indict the president? And, you know, uh, it just and then you don't hear anything about any of these other cases that could make people feel there's two there's two tiers of justice. Yeah, I mean, I think clearly that's the argument that I think Donald Trump's going to be making, you know, the, 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 in these things that the. the 
you know, the legal case is playing out in the courtroom, so we don't necessarily see it all, especially these grand juries where they're all behind closed doors. You know, we get leaks, we get, you know, we get, you know, you know, sources familiar talking to the media about it, but we don't really know what's going on behind the closed doors. And then if there are indictments, we don't know what's going to happen if they're going to go to trial, if there's going to be settlements. There is a on these legal fronts. There are going to be lots of ups and downs in the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months. And so I think you know, projecting how does this how does this affect you know a, a primary or a caucus ten months from now, I think is really premature. I think it's anyone's guess. Uh, but but I don't think there's I don't think there's any question that at least in the short term you're going to see Republicans rallying around the president in all these cases for the reasons that you just outlined. All right, thanks so much, Alex. Uh, best of luck. Who are you working with these days? Uh, I'm watching the presidential race really close. I've got friends on all the campaigns, uh, so I'm I'm saying neutral right now just because I, I like all the candidates. Um, but you know, we'll see. stay tuned. You know, the other thing is uh, Tim Scott, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, possibly Christy Noem. Do you put them all? Do you give them all a shot? I give everyone a shot at this point because I think. Uh, Look, I, I give them all a for two reasons. One, those are all quality candidates uh, who are going to put together serious teams and serious campaigns, and I think voters want to see a competitive race. And there's going to be the debates, and as you know, Brian, in these debates, anything can happen. And I think you could see Trump stumble. I think you could see DeSantis stumble. And if they do, one of these other candidates is going to fill that void, uh, and, and they're, they're all quality candidates. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a, I think it is still anyone's uh, – you know, clearly Trump and DeSantis are the front runners right now. But 10 months is forever in politics, especially when you're talking about Donald Trump and all the legal issues surrounding him. And you're talking about Ron DeSantis, who's never run for president before. Right. And then you have a guy who has run for president many times who's stumbling badly every day. Now he's had approval rating in President Biden at 38 percent. That spells vulnerable. Uh, Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Brent. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, it's your turn. Uh, We'll get your calls, get your take. Uh, No bad opinions, just want yours. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. First of all, I thought it was wise that he counterpunched and didn't punch. Uh, President Trump unleashed an attack on him, sent his surrogates out to say, here's a big laundry list, one of which was really sort of bizarre. They said, well, you know, he he restricted people on COVID. Well, remember, President Trump was critical of Governor DeSantis when he was one of the first governors in the country to begin to loosen the restrictions. You know, people could come to the beaches, people could go to restaurants and so forth. And I thought he'd get a really powerful counterpunch when he said, I would have fired Fauci. Because there was there was Dr. Fauci alongside yep. President Trump for for all of 2020. And then the second thing is, he said, he said, I'm a no drama kind of guy. And what he's setting up is a contrast between himself and the former president, because there are a lot of people who say, you know what? I like what Donald Trump did, but I don't like what we had to put up with. Yeah. And that and that's what he's doing. But we also see the story in the Hill today that Ron DeSantis is recalibrating his campaign. But that, of course, call Rove on One Nation, which airs Saturday night at eight o'clock. I love the insight and analysis. Even though Donald Trump has personally attacked him, he has no problem complimenting Trump when he feels uh, the time is right. Uh, Dan in New Jersey. Hey, Dan. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I love your show. Thanks so uh, much. A couple, couple of things. Number one. I don't believe Trump's electable uh, going forward. He is a bulldozer. He's only concerned about himself. 
destroying everyone in the party. Think about when you think about Rubio now. You think of little Marco. What if he doesn't win the Senate or the House and he, and he happens to win the election? They'll be after him every day. It'll be just chaos and confusion again. So I, I think a lot of people like yourself are really on the Trump train. Time to get off. It's time to move on from the guy and f- well, bring somebody in. Dan, who has this, his policy. Well, well, Dan, I think that I've been effective in explaining that I like the guy. I think he has so much to run on now, just the opposite. Just say, imagine if we did what we were doing now. We wouldn't have the problem in Ukraine. We wouldn't have the problem in the Middle East. Abraham Accords would have been complete. China wouldn't be a part of it. Uh, Bolsonaro would have got our support instead of worked away. So we'd have, uh, say, what's going on in South America and Central America. We were building up relations with everybody. And then with China, we were taking them on because he realized they were our enemy. Just on doing that, he'd be strong. But to go and mock Ron DeSantis, bring up these courts, physically, you know, come out with with threats against Alvin Bragg, allowing everyone to distract, that's what bothered me. I don't think that means I'm on the Trump train. They're having, uh, I don't know, uh, Ted Nugent introduce him and call Zelensky uh, terrible names, and which is ridiculous. The guy is a flat-out a hero, fighting, going to Kyrgyzstan on his free time on Sunday. I'm sure he wasn't playing pickleball. Like most uh, people that are judging him, so he just because he didn't have the perfect democracy, but that's who introduced him. So that stuff I can't support, but I can support his policies. And I, I just don't think personally putting down Ron DeSantis works when he is so strong in the Republican Party right now. I don't think Ted Nugent ever had this type of momentum. I don't think Marco Rubio had any this type of momentum. DeSantis is different. Maybe Trump realizes that. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I feel like a lot, a lot of people who say that they're wounded or offended by something, they were never hit by their parents. So I think, no, it's true. Like, I know people who have never, ever hit their children, and so they don't know what pain is, really. But I think that if you don't want to hit your kids, then that's fine. Of course, that's fine. But other people should be allowed to. Because I feel that I think that children are like animals that don't have any natural predators left, and they're just not afraid of anything. Well, they're different than they used to be. They're, they're. I mean, they're naturally feral. They are. I mean, it's true. We all read Lord of the Flies, right? I mean, well, what did we get out of that book? Kids are feral. They're, they're, right? Okay. They have to be civilized by adults, and adults stop doing that. That I think that's the root of almost all of our problems. So that is parenting advice from Bill Maher. Yeah. He doesn't have any kids, right? Allison, no, he does not. I don't think he's still looking for – yeah, I don't think he's pro-kid. Uh, <laughs> Sandra Smith is. Sandra, is it safe to say you're pro-kid? Very. Right. Sandra Smith, in between shows. She's doing her show shortly at 2 o'clock. Uh, and now she is fresh off filling in for Dana Perino. Yeah. But just a little of the Bill Maher show where things uh, seem to happen kind of interesting. Um, over the weekend, we also saw the President of the United States – also, do we have the Bill Maher uh, commenting on – we do have him commenting on this uh, with Trump and being indicted. Can we hear that? Give us one moment. We do have it. But right. in the meantime, do you guys think that's a real thing because people are afraid to they call children out or discipline them? Not necessarily hit. That's a problem with society. Do you, well, is that a problem in the Sandra Smith household? <laughs> 
Look, I think parental discipline is a huge issue right now. I think I think a lot of American families have moved away from, you know, implementing efficient, strict with within bounds uh, discipline. And I'm all for parental discipline. In fact, I have people stop me all the time and say, your, your children are so well. Well, you know what? I don't let them run wild. Like we have boundaries. We have rules and we stick to them. And children benefit from that. This is good for children in America. Um, it's good for children everywhere to know what the rules are, to know what the boundaries are, to know where the lines are drawn so that when they do cross those lines, parents can say that was bad. So did you watch the Chris Rock special? I did not. One of the things he did is uh, he says, first time uh, my, f- my family's going to hear this. She says, I grew up poor, um, but my kids grew up rich. Mm. And my kids went to these beautiful schools, these great schools. He goes, they actually went to Portugal on spring break. And my daughter got caught with her friends in a bar. Mm. And she got suspended from school. And every, they were going to band together. The parents were going to band together and insist on getting him back to school. And he said, I drove to the house because they were separated. I guess they were divorced. And he saw his daughter laughing on the lawn. He said, why aren't you in school? You suspended her. He goes, I know, I know I'm going to get back. All the parents are petitioning. We're all going to get back to school. And he said, I drove right up to the school. I said, I want you to kick my daughter out of school. Oh. And he never told, never told anybody. She got kicked out. She went to public school. She goes, that kid is now a chef in France. Ended up being the greatest 20-something. And they don't even know this story that I did it. But I wanted to make sure that she understood there are consequences for behavior. And a lot of times he goes, we're heading down a path of not understanding that. I, 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 I grew up in a house full of rules. I'm sure you did probably as well. I don't know why we've gotten away from that. I had a strict bedtime of 8.30. My curfew through high school. I had to be in the door by 8. Oh, it was the worst when it came time to like dating wait, boys. Wait a second. You had to be in bed? Oh, like lights out. And wow. then you, obviously you can't force somebody to be asleep, but you would, if you heard your dad's footsteps coming down the hall or possibly coming up the stairs, it was like flick that light back off and put your head back down on the pillow. But yeah, 8.30. I was supposed to be home 8.30 all through high school. And it was, it got to the point where all my friends knew about this curfew. It was kind of like, oh, Sandra, somebody's got to get do, Sandra home. Did you do the same thing with your kids? Are you going to when they get older? Well, they're not old enough for that yet. Um, Have you thought about it? Um, I might not be that strict, but I was the sixth <laughs> child in my family. So I'm sure it was just kind of like keeping head count, like just get everybody under one roof. Right. So I know everybody's home. Yeah. Um, there was probably a little bit of that going on because otherwise during the day I, you know, I was not always accounted for like my parents, you know, let me go, you know, I would not free range, but I was definitely out there exploring and doing things. And I wasn't under the close watch of my parents all Plus, day long. you track and field. What about track and field? Weren't you in track? I still am. I ran six miles this weekend, sub eight pace. So Can you beat me? That Sub eight? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't tried. But what, uh, but I did run this weekend, too. Uh, what I was going to ask you is, with track, yeah. that requires so much discipline. Th- this is what I'm going back to. So I had those boundaries and I had those rules. I had that crazy curfew. And it was an amazing thing for me to be a college athlete and already have my body and my brain trained to get my stuff done yeah. and get in bed and how important sleep was. And I was just, you know, I, I don't want to give my parents too much credit because they're not perfect, but it was a good, it was a right. good thing. And I, it, it probably made me a, a better athlete and everything. Right. I want you to hear just a little bit more on the Bill Maher show. He said this about what's going on in politics now. 
I just would like to go on record of saying I think this is a colossal mistake if they bring these charges. Not this one. You know, I mean, yes, he's done a lot of bad things, and I'm sure he did this. Everything they accuse him of done, he did. First of all, it's not going to work. It's going to be rocket fuel for his 2024 campaign. And it's just going to look to MAGA Nation like, oh, you know, you tried with Mueller. You tried with Ukraine. You tried with January 6th. Now we go to the porn star. Really? You're down to that? Do you think that that's a conversation? I, I, I had that nonstop over the weekend. Really? This? From 17 years ago? Charged six years ago? I mean, really? That's where things are. You know, and, and, and to be honest with you, this, this it's like with the case of Alvin Bragg, it really takes away from the horrific things that are happening right now. These soft on crime policies. Yes. Cities that are just an absolute disaster. Like, who's really at fault for doing something really bad here? Um, I mean, Alvin Bragg needs to be held accountable for what is happening. And I think it takes the light off of that and the focus off of that. I think that's a big problem. Do you remember the bodega owner that stuck yes. up for himself? We yes. see it on video. And he tried to – he put that guy in jail. Yes. That's the only guy he sees in jail. It's it's uh, justice turned on its head. Trey Gowdy weighed in last night. Cut five. I think our justice system is at a really, really dangerous point. I mean, anyone who doesn't think we can find a red state prosecutor or attorney general to go after a Democrat, the justice system, uh, she wears a blindfold for a reason, Shannon. She's not supposed to care about your political orthodoxy or your race or your gender. This is by far the weakest of the cases upon which President Trump is under investigation. By far, it's factually weak. It's legally weak. You got statute of limitations problems. You got witness credibility problems. And yet, for political expediency, Alvin Bragg has finally found a crime he thinks is worth pursuing. And that was it. I mean, that's that's just it. He doesn't pursue anything. He doesn't do anything. And now we'll find out what's going on. Do you think we're going to find out something today? No. Because doesn't the grand jury come in today around yeah. when your show starts? We haven't gotten any sense that we will. I don't know. We're always ready in the afternoon hours for that. Um, but isn't it Jonathan Turley or Andy McCarthy? I mean, they've resurrected this case from the dead. Um, zombie, right? I, and, you know, I, I don't know what the appetite is for all this. I don't know who wins politically, who doesn't. I think that's the debate happening right now, whether this would ultimately boost Trump heading into 2024 or work against him. I think the consensus is that it would actually work in his favor. Um, but that's it just it just feels like why are we in this moment? I mean, I just came off of the Varney set and I'm thinking like. We could be in the middle of a financial meltdown. The banking system could be collapsing. Goldman Sachs is predicting recession this year. I mean, we've got some really serious problems on our plate that I hope, Brian, when it comes to the 2024 discussion, we get back to focusing on getting people back to work. Improving the economy, right. getting kids reading and writing again. I and mean, we've got some really, really serious stuff to deal with, including immigration and crime in this country. And anything that, 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 that takes the focus off those key issues for Americans, I think, hurts us. So uh, we understand that uh, CBS had a poll. Only 15% of the country have confidence in the Fed's ability to manage this crisis. 34% say some, and 37% said absolutely none. So that's pretty significant. So a lot of people also are saying Janet Yellen's got to go, that she can't communicate, didn't get ahead of us, and no one's forgiving her for predicting first that the inflation would be transitory. I love how everybody's now throwing, you know, Fed Chair Jay Powell under the bus. Everybody. Elizabeth Warren, he's off with his head. You Elizabeth know. Warren, well, two weeks ago. Janet Yellen. And really, why are we here? 
This was really bad economic policy implemented by the Biden administration. Let's be clear. And I keep saying on my show, people need to understand that. We have economist after economist who comes on and continues to point out we didn't need to be here. We were not acknowledging inflation when it was rearing its ugly head. Then when it was, the administration was downplaying it or ignoring it. And then when it really, really got bad, they said, oh, well, the Federal Reserve has got to take care of this. And if they don't take care of this, they're not getting it right. Jay Powell's not getting it. What? I mean, we need to acknowledge the horrible economic policies that have put us in this position to then say to the Federal Reserve, tame this record high, unprecedented level of inflation caused by big government spending. And we need to learn the lessons of these huge mistakes that we've made as a country. I think so, too, because you look at the interest rates and now getting that they're like almost the size of our GDP, uh, how much we're paying for all the debt that we have. And we'll see where this goes. The other thing that they could unify the country is just admitting that China's our enemy in every way. That'd help. That's a, be a start. Right. I mean, um, but from we're schools just... to grants to what they're doing in all parts of the world, get our State Department out of the office and get into these countries and start pushing back. Yeah. And you think about the enormous amount of trade that we continue to do with China while not pushing for more manufacturing here at home. That's lining their pockets. That's building their military every single day. They're educating their kids. We're struggling to meet reading and uh, writing you know, at grade level in this country. Uh, in so many ways, we're failing our children. So a very good start would be how can we start to manufacture some of these products here at home so that we are not leaning on China to the degree we are today, but First and foremost, let's not grow our dependency on China. I worry about that every single day. And when it comes to this energy, our energy policies here in America, why do we continue to think it's a good thing to rely on other other countries for no. our energy needs when we have them right here at home? I have the CEO of Ford on, and he said, you know, he gets his incentives to build the electric car, and they build a brand new plant, get in Tennessee. He's excited about it. Look at it behind me. Fantastic. Well, when it comes to electric cars, he said it's brand new, a brand new animal. We got to just start from ground zero. All right, fine. I said, well, what's the problem? And I knew the problem already. He said because we can't get the rare earth, but we have it. But we don't want to mine it. Where do they find it's it in true. Minnesota that we don't want to mine it? So now he says the government wants us to do this, but we can't get the cobalt. We can't get the lithium. Yep. We can't get all this stuff that's needed. You know who has it? China has it. Yep. They'll mine anything. Yep. So this to me is the people going to write about this time in history and say, what is wrong with the Americans? Every time that we as a country make this 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 um, this push that we're not ready for into the electrical vehicle market. And I say not ready for because they're not popular. Bjorn Lomberg points this out in The Wall Street Journal all the time. If they were if people liked these cars, they would buy them. The demand's not there because they don't like them, not yet at least. I mean, you know, you've got some people who are into them, but they're extremely expensive. Um, But that being said, the lithium batteries and the demand from China, we're still getting 70 75% of all the lithium that goes into those batteries, into those cars, we're getting from China. So every time we make that push, we are leaning on China more and more. And I'll drop this nugget on you. I I gave this And not on oil and gas, which we have. Exactly. Um, I gave this one to Larry Kudlow the other day. I was like, have you seen this? I was digging through the Energy Information Admin, um, Agency's website. So this is the Biden Energy Agency, okay? They made a prediction. It's buried in their website that I had not seen. I hadn't seen it read, uh, written up. Biden's own energy agency is predicting that EVs, electric vehicles, will be a mere 10% of the American car market by the year 2050. 
<laughs> Think about that. Are you kidding? Think I'd, about that. The way they make it sound would be like 80% no. next year. No. We're just not there yet. It goes back to his point where we need to innovate to get us there, not spend money to get us there and, and, and inflict bans on people, on, on gas cars in California. Well, that what, we're about a, to what about a true leader that would just say, listen, I'm going to go electric cars and here's why. Got it. Clean this 18 to 25 year olds. You understand what we're doing for the environment? Yes. That means we're going to have to do strip mining in Minnesota. We're going to do strip mining in Nevada. We have no choice. We need to have control of it. Or let's do some video of the Congo where eight-year-olds are climbing through the dirt with hand shovels in order to retrieve it for us. That's really happening. Yeah, for our iPhones. So you can't have it both ways. Not only that, our our energy secretary, Jen Granholm, just last week, praising China. Twice. Praising China. China, for doubled their, down. For their green push. Yes. If you walk through China, you need a machete to walk through the cities because of how thick the atmosphere is. Okay, one other thing on that note, though. This was probably my favorite story of the past you know, week or two. Is Gavin Newsom, out in California, is now spending $7 million to come up with a price-gouging commission. He's going to staff an office that is going to go after those monster price-gougers out there. For $7 the big oil <laughs> The big oil companies. Like, let me just tell you, there has been so many at the state, the locals, the state, the federal level. There have been investigation after investigation, calls by Democrats to investigate, find those price gougers, hold them accountable. Not one lawsuit has resulted. Not one arrest. Because that would be illegal activity, mind you. Okay? Never have they found anything. But Gavin Newsom says he's going to go spend taxpayer money on putting together a little office, and they're going to go find find those price gouges. He's such a disaster. He's everything wrong with politics. Sandra Smith (laughs) will tell us exclusively what's on her other show, her show, uh, America Reports, uh, in just a moment. You'll see the Brian (laughs) Kilmeade show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. When I go on tour, I always do book signings, so I get to meet a lot of people. And then you meet people in a way, you, and you can ask questions in a way you wouldn't ask someone in the grocery store or whatever. You can ask whatever you want. But I'm always surprised. I meet a teenager, and I say, what job? You have to have, have an after-school job. And the parent always, this is uh, Atticus's time to be Atticus. Like, that's why, you know, you go to McDonald's, you go to these places now, and there's, there's nobody working there. It's because people don't send in their kids out to work anymore. How do you feel about that, Sandra Smith? <laughs> I'm laughing because I think all of us can picture someone in our life, whether it's a family yeah. member or a friend of a friend or whatever it is. And there is this entitlement thing going on. And, and parents are part of the problem, too, right? They think they want the best for their child. And they think the best is, oh, go take a few years. Travel the world. Well, I have news for you. Travel the world. Come home. And you're, there's going to be a major gap between somebody who went and started their career right away right. versus somebody who well, went. what about the 16-year-olds? They- uh, the sophomore in high school that's not working. Well, I'm, do you think, I don't know. I don't, I'm not so harsh on that. Do you right. need to work when you're a sophomore in high school? Oh, yeah. I was working since eighth grade. See, so there's there's a theory on this. I, I did, too. And I was very skeptical of kids uh-huh. not going out to get jobs at that age. I, I know there's been a big transition away from that. But there's huge pressure on that age group. And you're probably way more familiar with this than I am, um, having kids that are have gone into college and everything. 
but there's huge pressure on them to, to, to rack up so much community service and, you know, do so many activities all to dress up their college application process that sometimes I think parents are fearful of having them work. Well, I, well, I think charity stuff and doing that and bolster up the resume, that's that's also like work. I yeah. don't think it's necessarily the money. It's just the experience you get working under people. Hands down. Uh, I completely you know. agree. I was at a dry cleaner. I was babysitting. Yeah. I was answering phones. I took any job I could. Right. I just and the wanted you money. started getting criticism, you know, your crazy manager in your supermarket is not so, you know, when, you, when you're 25 and you see another crazy supervisor, you're like, okay, you remind me of, I dealt with you when I was a teenager. Yeah. But uh, that's one thing's clear. What's, who's on your show? Uh, Mike Waltz is coming up. Our econ panel debate what's happening next with the banking system. And Carol Markowitz joining us on declining religion and patriotism in America. Thank you, Sandra. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.